Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, those of you in the room, those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're with us too. We like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for as long as they've been Christians, I think. The Lord be with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that the Lord meets us as we gather together to worship him and, uh, and even meets us when we're watching online. So wherever we are, uh, God meets us right in the reality we live in, the, the wet, noisy reality that we live in. God meets us right here. So um, let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. God, we're grateful for the opportunity uh, to take this hour to focus our hearts, our thoughts on you. Uh, because we need that, God. We need to be reminded of your presence in our lives, of your love for us. Uh, we need to be reminded of all the good things that you have poured into our lives and, and have a chance to just say thank you. And, uh, and for some of us, God, uh, <laughs> it might be hard for us to think of things to thank you for. We, we just need an opportunity to pour our hearts out to you. Uh, we're going through stuff that makes it, makes it tough. And so, God, we need to sometimes gather together with other folks and be encouraged, be reminded that, that you are with us, that you haven't lost track of us, that, that your love will never give up. So thank you, God, for the chance to, to gather together, to worship you, to sing to you, to pray to you, to listen for your spirit speaking through the scriptures, to gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. We are thankful for this opportunity today. Uh, so would you help us to have hearts and minds open to you, God? That is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if any of you are wondering who this guy is standing behind me, uh, this is uh, Matt Blonick, and uh, his wife, Julia, actually watched our boys for quite a while. And, uh, and so today, we've got some of our musicians out of town, some of them are sick, and, uh, and I'm looking around, calling around, and uh, Julia reminded me that, well, you know, my husband like, is in the rotation at Calvary Church, and, uh, and actually, he's not singing this weekend, and I'm out of town, he's got nothing to do. So, uh, <laughs> so I was very thankful that Matt was willing to come and to, and to lead us this morning. Thank you, Matt. If you're, uh, if you're interested and able, let's stand and let's sing. All right. Thanks, Rich. All right. It's great to be with you. Thanks again for having me out. I'm really honored to be able to have the chance to worship with you. So I'm going to open us up with some scripture before we sing together. This is from Psalm 103. It says, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit? who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord right works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Let's worship together. Bless the Lord, of oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. Sun comes up. Sun comes up, it's a new day. 
done It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me Let me be singing with Bless the Lord of my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. You're rich in love. Rich in love and you're slow to anger. Your name is great and your heart is kind. For all your goodness I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to Bless the Lord of my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore forevermore so His holy name I sing like never before Oh my soul I worship your holy name Bless the Lord of my soul Oh my soul Worship His holy name
how you give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath. So we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you, Lord. It's great are you, Lord. You give life. So we pour out our prayer. 
praise him for his goodness.
Psalm 100, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness and come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to all generations. Amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, we are so thankful to be here this morning. In spite of the rain, the lightning, the thunder, the winds, Lord, we are so glad to be here, gathered in this place, gathered in your presence. Thank you for inviting us here with you. Thank you for bringing us here safely. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God not just a good God, you are good, Lord. You are faithful to every generation, without failing, without faltering, Lord. There is no God like you. We thank you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory for that. Lord, in the midst of this week and people who have struggled with illness, people who have struggled maybe in, with jobs, people who have struggled with a lot bigger things even than that, Lord. We thank you in those struggles, and we give you the praise for what you're already doing and working through those and in those, maybe even in spite of those challenges. Lord, we thank you for the victories this week. We thank you for those places where we have seen your blessings so stark in our lives, so outrageous in our lives, Lord. We thank you for working in each person that is involved with living hope, we thank you for working in this church as a whole, Lord, for the great things that you are doing here. We thank you for each person that has joined us here in this room and online who will join us later, Lord. It's not by accident. It's by your design, and we praise you for what you are going to teach us this morning. Lord, point out your, pour out your anointing on Pastor Rich as he brings your word to us this morning. May the, the word that he brings, though it's something we might have heard before, may we hear it anew, Lord, and find a new message, a new challenge, Lord, so that we can take it from this room to our homes, to our schools, to our jobs, to our communities, to our neighbors, Lord. We trust that you're doing that already, and we trust, Lord, that you're going to continue. And for all these things, we thank you. We praise you. We give you all the glory. And we pray them in your mighty name. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you. Well, take a few minutes as you're comfortable and pass the peace amongst each other. All right. We should probably figure out something to do uh, for all of you watching online while we're all wandering around greeting each other. Huh? So just, this, just this pause in the service while we're all all catching up and saying hi and, and meeting new friends and all of that. Uh, hopefully, uh, those of you in the room, you grabbed one of these on your way in. It, it lets you know uh, what's going on around here this week and got some notes for the message in there, and, uh, which I think all the scriptures will be on the screen when that time comes. But um, 
we would love for you at some point, uh, if, especially if you're online, to let us know you're with us because uh, we don't get to see you and shake your hand and all that good stuff. So you can go to livinghope.info slash connect and just fill out that little digital connect card. Let us know how we can pray for you, thank God with you, whatever might be going on. If you have questions, some, some way we could serve you, any of that, uh, let us know. And of course, all of us in the room, you could do that same thing with your smartphone right now or you could just grab one of those little green cards back there uh, by the offering box and jot your note on there. Make sure you give me some way to contact you so I can follow up with you and, and, uh, and uh, pray for you, pray with you, answer your question. Uh, if you do, just make sure you drop it in the offering box. If you're giving today, you can drop that in there as well, and, uh, or you can give online uh, like everybody else can. So, um, and then I think, let's see, what was there I was going to mention this week? Oh, there's a little bit un- unusual thing. The youth group, it's either this week or next week, is going to, to Great America. I'm not sure which, which one that is. If you've got teenagers that you think might be interested in this Great America trip, uh, it was depending on one of their work schedules or something, I think, one of the teens. So if you have teenagers that might want to take a, a trip to Six Flags Great America, you'll want to get a hold of Jason later and, uh, and ask him about that and make sure that you're getting on that list. And then this next Sunday... Uh, we're going to start hosting a family again with Family Promise. Uh, we've done this a couple of times previously where uh, we'll have a family with us uh, each night of the week. So for one full week, each night we're going to serve them dinner. They stay the night here, and then during the day they go back to work or to a day center or there's you know, different things that Family Promise has for folks. And so if you want to help us do that, um, then we need to sign some people up for dinners this next week, starting a week from today, Sunday night at like 5.30. And... Um, and we've got the overnight shifts covered, it looks like. The person who's going to sleep here overnight. We're getting a little spoiled because Scott over here is just volunteering to stay the night every time. So thank you, Scott. Um, he's been doing that on the Tuesday nights, too, that we have the, the guys from New Creation here. So um, anyway, yeah, you are, you are spoiling us. Um, letting us all, all sleep. But um, if you'd like to at least bring dinner or something and stick around for an hour or two uh, to interact with the family that we're going to be hosting next week, uh, let me know, and we'd love to, to get you on that schedule. Let you pick a night. Um, I feel like there was one other thing I was going to mention, but now I can't remember what it is, so we'll just go on into the message. Uh, we are doing this series on uh, Bible stories, Bible stories that maybe you heard as a kid, maybe you didn't. Uh, some of you I know grew up in church, or you grew up you know, going and seeing all the little things on the flannel graph or whatever, you know, that for me when I was a kid, uh, the little cutouts on the Velcro that they'd stick up on the wall and they'd uh, tell you the Bible story. Uh, or maybe you grew up watching Veggie Tales or, uh, or one of those other ways, many ways that we get the Bible stories into our heads as kids. Or maybe you didn't. I know many of you didn't grow up going to church. And so people mention some of these Bible stories like everybody just knows them. You're like, ooh, no, I don't really know that one. Um, so we're looking back at some of those and uh, revisiting them and seeing some of the things we might have missed the first time that connect with us as adults. They're a little different than what connected with us as kids, right? And uh, today we're looking at David and Goliath. Uh, David and Goliath, which some of you are like, oh yeah, I know that story, right? Uh, little shepherd boy takes a slingshot, kills the giant. Got it. Yeah, I know that story. Well, there's, there's a little more there, okay? So we're going to explore some of the, some of the rest of that. Uh, for those who don't know, David was a king of Israel. Uh, back, uh, it was really kind of a transition point in Israel's history. Um, now, last week, we were looking at Daniel and the lion's den. That was later in their history, after they'd been a nation and been conquered by the Babylonians and hauled off in exile, and they were given, God was giving hope to people living far from home, people in exile, wondering, has God given up on us? Uh, David arises at a time when Israel is really kind of doing well, uh, for the most part. They had, uh, you know, God had already rescued them from slavery in Egypt with Moses generations earlier. They had settled into this promised land, and, uh, but for... A long time, they didn't have like a king or anything like that. 
which was just fine, right? Uh, God kind of saw himself as their king, and if a problem arose, like an enemy nation that was, that was bothering them, then God would raise up a leader, uh, they called them judges, and uh, that person would lead the people in battle, or that person would lead them through whatever the conflict was, and there's a whole book of the Bible called Judges about that, and uh, we might revisit one of those stories from there, because there's lots of fun stories in the book of Judges. Um, anyway, yeah, lots of fun stories. All right, uh, but at some point, the people of Israel said, you know, we'd kind of like a king. All these neighboring countries, they have, they have kings that kind of rule them and lead over them. And, and you know, it's kind of fancy, right? We see the king is all, like, decked out in gold and wearing the stuff. And, and he's got a big palace. And, and it, you know, we feel like kind of the country bumpkins over here with no king, no palace, no, you know. Uh, we want one of those. And so God says, fine. If you want a king, okay, I'll give you a king. Now, understand He's going to, like, conscript your kids into his army, and he's going to take other, you know, he's going to take taxes, he's going to take your money to build that palace, and, you know, there's stuff that comes along with having a king. And they said, we don't care, we want a king. So fine. Uh, God gives them a king, a guy named Saul, who uh, the Bible says was, was handsome, head and shoulders above everyone else, like literally a head taller than everyone else. Is the kind of pe- person that we typically would, like, elect as president here in this country uh, oftentimes, right? We tend to, do you guys know that? We tend to elect tall people, tall, good-looking people, um, Tall, good, sorry, I should say tall, good-looking men uh, so far, um, is who we tend to elect as our president. And uh, that's what happened with Saul, except God picks him, sends Samuel, the prophet, to go and anoint him to be king. Uh, he would take oil and pour it over his head as a sign of God's spirit resting on someone. Uh, I heard Pastor Judy pray that God would pour out his anointing on me today, and uh, that was a symbol of God's presence. You know, that's, that's where that language comes from. They would pour oil on the person's head, and God's spirit would come on them in a special way for the special time, for the special need. And, uh, and so Saul is king, and he's the first king of Israel, and things are good until they're not. And, uh, and Saul disobeys God on a couple of things, and God says, fine, I'm going to pick a different king. And that's where he tells Samuel again, this is where... Uh, this is where we pick up the story in your notes anyway. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, there's a couple of books in our Bible named Samuel because the, the things that Samuel the prophet does are, are going on there. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. And so he's heading out. He's like, okay, God, fine. If you can pick a different king, that's, that's all right. When they arrived, Samuel saw... Oh, sorry, and so... I had to skip some because there's just one room for all of it. Uh, he gets there, tells Jesse, hey, bring your boys out. He lines up uh, these seven sons, kind of oldest to youngest or whatever. And, and Samuel sees the first one, Eliab, and thinks, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. And look at this guy, looks the part. He, he must be the next king. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Now, I don't know that there's anything wrong with Eliab's heart. Uh, I just know that God's saying, he's not the one I've chosen. He's, God's looking at some inner qualities, and he says, that's not the person. That's not the one. And, uh, and so he keeps going down the line. And he's like, okay, well, sorry, son, not you. Because uh, the next one... Minadab or something? I can't remember. Anyway, tugs the next son. is like, oh, no, not him. Uh, eh, no, not him. He gets all the way through the boys, and that's it. Like, God hadn't chosen any of those. And so in verse 11, he asks Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. I didn't even call him in. He's just, you know, 
figured it'd be one of the older boys. You know, he's just the, he's the youngest. He's, he's got the job nobody else wants out there with the, with the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Kind of makes me laugh that he's just said, yeah, I don't pay attention to the outward appearance. And then here's David like, oh, yeah, he's good looking. You know, <laughs> it's like, but we still look at those things. So they mention that about David. And he is anointed then, and the spirit of the Lord comes powerfully upon David. Um, now, that does not, this was not a coronation ceremony. David is not instantly king of Israel. Saul is still king. Uh, but kind of on the, on the back end, Samuel knows, ooh, God's not with Saul anymore. And God has already chosen who's going to be his successor. Uh, but he doesn't go out and tell Saul that. He <laughs> doesn't go out and say, hey, this guy's going to be king after you. Um, this is just kind of on the, on the back end, David knows, and Samuel knows, and maybe his family knows, that like, wow, God has chosen David to be king. This, we don't know how young he is, we just know he's the youngest of this family. We know he's the one that other people wouldn't have picked. You know, when, did you ever play uh, dodgeball? Uh, or kickball? Or one of, those, one of those sports where they typically have like two captains, right? They come up front, and all the other kids are out there like, ooh, pick me, pick me. Did any of you live through that fun experience at school or the neighborhood or something like that, right? Um, some of you are like, oh, yeah, no big deal. I was always the captain, you know, or I was always picked first or something like that. Others of you were like, you know, yeah, didn't, didn't love that, you know. <laughs> you know, when they argued about who had to take me, you know, that was never much fun. Um, and David was kind of, you know, he was the last one picked, you know. They, Dad didn't even bring him out for the thing. Um, didn't, didn't bother. But this is the one that God chose, so in your, in your notes, you can see I put some of these scriptures in bold. And so back there, what, what God said to Samuel about not considering his outer appearance, because God says, look, I don't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You know, God sees us in a way that other people don't. You know, we know what that's like, right? We know what it's like to be, some of us anyway, to, to be discriminated against or to accidentally judge a book by its cover and find out later we were very wrong about someone right? Maybe you've had other people overlook you, you know, because you didn't have something on your resume or whatever it might be. Uh, but God doesn't look at all those things. God looks at our hearts. God knows who we really are, not just what our outer appearance says. And I gotta say, I'm, I'm thankful for that and challenged by that because my eyes don't see into hearts, right, any more than yours do. Um, and so I'm thankful that God God does see us. God sees through all the outer stuff. And we see that happen in other places in Scripture, right? I think of Jesus and his disciples, right? Jesus calls these disciples to follow him. And in Jesus' day, he was kind of functioning as like a rabbi or a teacher, someone who was helping the people of his day understand, here's what God says, here's what God wants. And rabbis would choose disciples typically based on, okay, who's got the great memory to be able to remember all of the laws and all the Torah and all the, and, and my instruction on what, how I teach that we should interpret that and put, apply that to our lives because then these disciples are going to carry on the rabbi's tradition on into the future once the rabbi is gone. And, uh, and the disciples that Jesus chose hadn't been chosen by any rabbis, right? They all had gone on to do whatever jobs they were doing, you know, working as fishermen in the family business, uh, working as a tax collector, collecting taxes for Rome, or, or one was a zealot and was out to kill Romans. Um, 
Yeah, we've got all, all sorts gathered together here that Jesus picks, and, and it's almost like he picks kind of like the rejects, right? He, he picks the people who had been overlooked, the people that no other rabbi had chosen. And Jesus comes to them and says, no, but I choose you. I want you to be one of mine. I want you to learn from me. And maybe that's why Jesus keeps it simple <laughs> and says, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, like, look, it's, it's love God with all that you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything hangs on those two pegs. You know, that's, that's what it's about. You know, he says, my, my yoke is easy. My burden's light, right? I, I keep it simple. Uh, but Jesus chooses people uh, that other people had overlooked. And sure enough, is did a pretty good job, I would say. You know, the, the church continued. The church thrived, you know, once Jesus was gone and he poured out his spirit on them. Um, the church did very well. And that's why I wanted to make sure I included all the way to the end of that little passage where it mentions that the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Because in those days, the, the spirit of the Lord only kind of rested on or worked powerfully on maybe one person, you know, in a generation. Whoever was anointed as king or whoever was functioning as a judge or as a prophet in those days. But we live in this time after Jesus. We live in this time where uh, Jesus has lived and died and conquered death, risen again and ascended to heaven. And the Bible tells us that, that uh, Jesus told us he did what he promised, that he poured out God's Holy Spirit on all of his people. Read that in Acts chapter 2, right? The, the promise of the prophets finally made good, that God has poured out his spirit on all people, men, women, young, old, doesn't matter. Anyone who's trusting in Jesus, anyone who turns from sin and turns to God, receives this gift of the Holy Spirit who works powerfully in our lives and works through us to do amazing things in the world. David is kind of an example of this for us. That when God sees who we are, sees our potential, sees who we can be, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to help make that a reality in the world. It's what God did for David. It's what God does for each and every one of us. If you have ever felt like, oh, no, God's going to choose somebody else. God's going to work through the, you know, rich up there. He's got the education. He's got the resume. He's, you know. Or God's going to work through that person over there. They've been a Christian longer than I have. Or, or they look better than I do. Or they can speak better. Than I, or whatever it might be. If you have put yourself down thinking God would work through them and not me. The story of David reminds us, look, God can work through any of us. And God sometimes purposefully chooses the one that seems least likely. Because then it becomes much more obvious that it's God at work. The Apostle Paul talks about that in his letters, about God working through him in that way, through his weaknesses, uh, because then it's obvious that it's God at work. He talks about God choosing the foolish to shame the wise, like these people who've had all the education, and God, God chooses some of these uneducated to, to work through, to show that it's, that it's God at work. So that's the first thing that I get from the story of, of David. Before we even get to the Goliath story um, that connects with me, anyway, and, and reminds me not to judge you know, people based on appearance, but to see that, like, you know what, God, God might be wanting to do something amazing through them. I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't judge them based on my initial thoughts, you know, my initial impressions, that sort of a thing. And you shouldn't judge yourself on those things either. All right, so as the story continues, um, it, it's kind of interesting. It looks like perhaps there are different stories about David and how he gets introduced to Saul that all get gathered together in the, in the book of 1 Samuel, because there's a, there's a story about how... Um, Saul is troubled by this, this evil spirit and has kind of this bad temper that comes upon him. And, and uh, somebody's looking for someone who can play the lyre and soothe him. So lyre is kind of like a harp slash guitar kind of instrument uh, that we don't really play much anymore. And um, 
and you know, play some, some of you play some soothing music and kind of help you to, to feel better, help this, this evil temper to pass by. And it's like, oh, you know, I know a guy, uh, the son of Jesse, this young man named David. And so David gets called in to come and play music for Saul whenever he gets in these bad moods and, and it helps Saul to calm down. And it says that David stayed in Saul's um, kind of circle. He works as an armor bearer. You know, Saul wants to keep David nearby. And then we get in 1 Samuel 17, the story that, uh, that we're talking about today, about David and Goliath. Um, and David, for some reason, is back home with, with his dad, Jesse, at this point. All right? So that's where it kind of looks like maybe there are some different stories that are kind of being brought together about how these, these folks all meet. But in 1 Samuel 17, uh, it's a time of tension. It's a time of difficulty for the people of Israel because their neighbors, the Philistines, are deciding they are you know, going to war against Israel. Um, and there's a whole thing you can watch videos about or look it up on the maps and the Philistines lived along the coast and, and the people of Israel kind of in the highlands and in between is this area of kind of some valleys that, and hills that, that connect those two and so the Philistines are moving in on Israel and so Israel is uh, King Saul and his armies are coming down to meet him and uh, oh that's I should just read this from 1 Samuel 17 the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah they pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azekah which we don't need to remember any of these place names sorry Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And this is why I wanted to, the Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with the valley between them. And so when I, when I used to read this, I'd think, I'd think back to family vacations where we would, you know, be hiking and through, you know, national parks and stuff. And like valleys were always just like these little things with like a creek in them and it's all wooded. And, you know, it's like I, I had trouble picturing this. But picture instead maybe like going to a football game. Right? And you've got this giant football field out in between you, and maybe, maybe you and your team, uh, your fans for one team are on one side, and the fans for the other team are on the other side. Right? So it's a little more like that, but just to expand it. Right? The valley floor is open, and, uh, and the hills there, they camp to where you can see the enemy over there. But uh, who's going to make the first move? You know, like, are they going to charge down together and fight in the valley? Uh, you can't really sneak up on the other guys because they can see you coming. You're kind of up on this hill. And so what happens a champion named Goliath from Gath came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. We all know what that means, right? No, of course not. Anyway, uh, if your Bible's got like a footnote, it says you know, maybe like nine and a half feet, perhaps. So he's a giant. He had a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. Oh, man, I can't remember how much that weighed. A couple hundred pounds, 100 pounds, 200 pounds, something like that. Heavy, heavy armor. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. Its iron point weighed 600 shekels. I think it was like 25 pounds, is that what I read? Anyway, his shield bearer went ahead of him. So he's got somebody else like carrying a shield in front of him. He's got all this heavy armor. He's a giant dude. And he comes down and says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. A couple verses later, for 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand, shouted his taunts, and they just quivered in their sandals. They, they, nobody wanted to go out and fight this giant of a man with all this armor. How on earth is anyone going to take him down? <clears throat> well, the, the story tells us that 
David's three oldest brothers had followed Saul with the army and had kind of signed up to go and fight. And so Jesse sends David with some food and provisions for his brothers and for the commander. And he gets there and he hears Goliath making this taunt. And David uh, starts to ask around, like, wait, wait, how, how long has this been going on? 40 days? Well, who's, who's going to take him on? Nope, nobody's stepped up yet? Why? Is there like a reward or anything? You know, he starts asking, like, what will the king do for the person who, like, takes care of this? And people start saying, oh, this, this young guy thinks he's going to take care of this. You know, and the word gets to Saul and David gets brought in. And David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. You know, I... You know, I'll, I'll go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. <clears throat> this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. <laughs> like, it kind of surprises me here. He's just like, okay. I'm kind of surprised that Saul's like willing to give, like, this is, you know, if you lose, we all become their servants. But maybe at this point, 40 days, and Saul's not stepping up, no one's stepping up. You know, Saul's head and shoulders taller than the other guys, but Goliath's bigger than him. So go, and the Lord be with you. And the Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him, bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And he took his staff in his hand, you know, his shepherd's staff, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with a shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him, took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. And that's where I just ran out of room. I didn't get a chance to tell you about how the, all the Philistines turn around. They see Goliath dead, and they all take off running. And the Israelite army chases them down and kills a whole bunch of them and, and conquers their army and takes the plunder. And, and 
then as they're returning home, people are singing David's praises, and Saul begins to get jealous, and there's a whole different story then that develops after that. Um, but you can see if you're looking here uh, at the printed notes that I've put in a couple of things in bold, uh, going back to, uh, to when David says to Saul, um, look, I've, I've dealt with lions and bears, you know, I'm, I'm going to be able to deal with this Philistine. The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Um, that's reminding me of the ways that God is at work in our lives, preparing us for what we need, right? That, that, that David didn't have any experience in battle, couldn't handle the armor, and never could have stood up to, to Goliath like in hand-to-hand combat. There's, there's a whole really interesting thing on this. Malcolm Gladwell, an author, did a few years ago, wrote a book called David and Goliath, where he looks at underdogs and apparent underdogs and people who appear to have disadvantages, and he believes David really had the upper hand here, that Goliath was big and old and slow and maybe even had a disease, a pituitary thing, and that's why he was so huge and maybe had double vision because of it, and that's why he couldn't see David and needed him to come here, Um, and that, uh, sure, Goliath could smash him if he got close enough. It's a little like the same disease that Andre the Giant had, if you Andre the Giant, Princess Bride, all of that. Anyway, um, if you remember Princess Bride, actually, that's pretty good. Yeah, where the, where the, uh, the man in black is like fast and can move around, and, and Andre's like taking these giant swings that are slow. Maybe that's what was happening here, you know, that David runs toward him. David is uh, the artillery in the military. He's a slinger, and it wasn't like a little slingshot, you know. This was, this was the kind of thing where they've got the leather straps in the pouch and they spin it around super fast and fling what could be a good-sized rock. And, uh, and I read this last week that they could have the stopping power of like a 45 handgun, you know, because you could hit somebody hard enough with one of those things and with some accuracy, and David had had some practice, right? So when it says he, he struck the, the lion or struck the bear, it probably doesn't mean he chased him down and punched him with his fist, right? It probably means he slung a rock at that thing, knocked it out, knocked it down, stunned it, was able to retrieve his sheep, and then if the thing came to and turned on him, then he would grab a hold of it and, you know, and kill it. And so this is what he does with Goliath. He runs toward him. He's got the speed. He's got the agility. He's got the distance weapon. He can take him out before Goliath can even reach him. And that's what happens. He's got this confidence that the Lord is with him because the Lord has been with him in the past. Now, I've mentioned this, David is author of so many of the Psalms, and there are so many of the Psalms that, uh, that are written in times of distress, in times of difficulty, calling on God, God, I need your help. Uh, where, some of them are just despairing, kind of sounds like, where are you, God? I've been crying out to you. I've got these enemies. Why aren't you coming through? But almost every one of those Psalms then has a, a moment where, where David, or whoever's writing that particular Psalm, says, but you know what, God, you've been faithful in the past. You've been with our people, and you got us through this problem. You got us through that. And so I'm confident you're going to get us through this. You've been with me in the past, and so I'm confident you're going to be with me now. That's why the Psalms are such a great resource for us when we're going through difficulty, giving us words to pray or to say to God, um, honest words of frustration, of anger, of disappointment, because then they also lead us to a place of remembering God's faithfulness. And how God has come through in the past. And so, and so, okay, God, if you were trustworthy then, I can trust you now. God has been faithful and has been with David and has given him exactly the experience he needs to take down this giant. And I wonder if perhaps some of the things you might be going through right now are exactly what you need to be able to take down some giant in the future. Right? Or maybe you're facing a giant now and you don't realize. You've been, you've been trying to 
fight this giant on, on his terms, right? And you don't realize, wait a minute, I, I've got a, another option. I don't have to wear this armor that doesn't fit me. I don't have to try to be someone else. I don't have to try to, you know, just charge up against this. Maybe, maybe God's showing me another way to tackle this, this problem, this dilemma. Maybe there's some experiences in your past, things that God has done in your life that are exactly what you needed for what you're facing today. Or like I said, maybe what you're facing today is exactly what you're going to need. It's going to help you to learn some things, to learn to trust God, to learn some new ways to, to go through life um, that are exactly what you're going to need for a problem that God knows is coming down the road. Or there's going to be an opportunity for you to serve or to help someone down the road. That if you'll, get, if you'll learn this lesson today, if you'll learn to trust God, if you'll, if you'll you know, step out in faith for what you're facing now, then you're going to be ready to, to help someone going through a difficult time later. Those of you who've been through uh, addiction know this well, that, you know, you've, you've gotten help from others. God has helped, you know, God has worked through others to help you to get clean, to get sober, and then you're able to turn around and, and sponsor someone else, help someone else, encourage someone else, like, hey, I've been where you are. I know what you're going through. I can help you with this. You can do this. You're able to encourage others. The Bible says in, uh, in the New Testament, Paul, again, in one of his letters, says that God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can be a comfort to others. God helps us so that we can then help others. Or Romans chapter 8, verse 28, says that in all things God is at work, right? For the good of those who love him are called according to his purpose. And maybe what you're going through right now, God's not going to waste this difficulty. God's going to work through this to prepare you for something else, for something that's coming. So that you can be ready. So that when a giant shows up and everyone around you is quaking in their boots, you're going to say, wait a minute, no, God, God's got this. This is a lot like what I've faced before. And you might be the one that God is going to work through when no one else is willing to step up. And I just wanted to mention that, that last bit uh, when David is talking to Goliath and, and mentions this is why he's doing this. This is why he's willing to step up, so that the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that the battle belongs to the Lord. He's the one that, that sees us through. Because probably no one's going to look and say, wow, that little shepherd boy, he's really something. You know? Well, I guess some people did. Yeah, they, they thought he was something. But he's saying, look, I, I want people to know that God is real. <laughs> and that's what our lives demonstrate all the time. When you trust God. When you trust that maybe there's, maybe God can work through me. Other people haven't seen it, but you know what? God tells me that I'm his. God tells me that my life is useful. God tells me that, that you know, what I'm going through now is, is for my good and is for the good of others perhaps someday. That when you're willing to trust God, that demonstrates to others that like, wow, God really is at work. If God can, if God can do that with them, <laughs> boy, if God can take them, I, I knew them before, and if God can change their life, if God can help them get through this difficulty while we're all scared and we're all frustrated and God's giving them this peace, God's giving them this confidence, maybe there's something to this God they talk about. Maybe there's something to this Jesus, uh, to this church they invited me to, this Jesus, the, <laughs> Jesus they say forgave their sins and, and has changed their lives. Maybe there's really something to this, this funny religion stuff that they mention every now and then. Because man, they, they seem to have it. They, they seem to be making it through a circumstance that I don't think I could make it through. This glorifies God. It points people to Jesus when we're willing to trust him. All right. Sorry, we're all out of time. There's so much more to the story of David and Goliath, but those are the ones I wanted to encourage you with today because I found them encouraging myself, and I hope you do as well. Um, 
I look forward. I, I love to getting to hear those stories as I hear them through you, and I look forward to hearing more in the days to come as, uh, as you understand that God knows you. God knows the real you. you know, the other people may have, uh, may have overlooked you, uh, but God sees you, and God is at work in your life for your good and for the good of others in ways that will bring him glory, in ways that will, uh, will bless the world. Let's bow our heads, and let's pray as we prepare to celebrate communion together. God, we are grateful for your love for us, for the grace that you give us. I mean, man, every single one of us, you could have just seen the ways that we had messed up our lives, seen the sins that we committed, seen the ways that we failed to, to trust you or failed to act, and, and you could have just rejected us. You could have just condemned us and would have been right in doing so. But instead, out of love for us, you reached out to us by your Holy Spirit. You, you sent your son Jesus to us to, to enter into our messed up reality, to take our sin on himself and by his death and resurrection conquer sin and death so that we can be set free, so that sin doesn't have to uh, rule over us, so that instead we can be free to love and to trust you to live this beautiful life you created us for. Thank you, God, for the mercy and grace you've shown to each one of us. Thank you for the ways you work in our lives not just to bless us, but so that we can be a blessing to others, so that your grace can flow through us. God, some of us might be at kind of pivotal times for, for our family, for our workplace, for a neighborhood, for a school. I don't know, God. But it might be that we are, we are the one that you want to work through if we will just trust you in this moment. If we will look back at the ways you've been at work in our lives, we will trust that you can be at work in our lives today. Help us, God to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, not to step into situations that, that aren't for us. Man, if, if, this is, if this is the moment you want us to step into, God, help us to have that courage, help us to have that confidence to be willing to say yes, to be willing to be used by you. We're so grateful, God. We're so grateful that uh, out, of, out of love that you showed us the grace that you did in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to celebrate this sacrament today, offering to you these gifts of bread and juice, and praying that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and his blood. Thank you, God, that in our brokenness, uh, your grace can flow, your, your grace can be at work. God, today we admit to you our need of your grace. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. And we thank you that you offer it so freely. Thank you, God. As your word says, as we confess our sins to you, you are faithful. You are just. You forgive us our sins. You wash us clean from all that unrighteousness. Help us, God, today to experience your grace, to to experience that, that sense of being washed clean. Our failure is no longer defining us, but instead we can, be, we can be defined by your love, by who you call us to be. That can be our identity. That can be who we are. We offer you ourselves and pray that by your Spirit's work in our lives that we might be transformed, that we might live in this world as the body of Christ given for the world. You are so good to us, God. You have blessed us so richly in your son, Jesus Christ. 
Help us to not only receive this blessing, but be willing to share it with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, Matt's going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. I'll be here with a basket of bread and a cup of juice. And as we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it and return to your seats. This is open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. All of us who are hungry for his grace, who are grateful for his love. So uh, we've got the regular bread and the gluten-free wafers, and we've got the little individual cups, too, if you'd rather take that back uh, to your seat. Or if you don't want to join the, the procession, we've got those little cups on the tables. And as we sing, you can, you can peel it back and get to the bread and, and peel it back and get to the juice. And uh, this is our opportunity um, to connect with God, to re remember that he, he meets us right here in our reality in Jesus Christ, in his body, in his blood, in the, in the world that we live in. His grace is real. And it meets us here. Let's celebrate that today.
Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Thank you, God, for doing just that for capturing our hearts, for protecting our hearts, for changing our hearts. You see us, God. You look at our hearts. You know what's going on inside of us. You know today the, um, the fears that might be there, the uncertainties, the questions. Thank you, God. Thank you for being able to, to change our hearts. As David said in one of his psalms, you uh, Take our hearts of stone. Give us, oh no, that's not something. Give us a willing spirit. That's what David said in his song. To give us a willing spirit to sustain us. God, we pray that you would do that for us today. A spirit that is willing. Fill us with a spirit that is willing to follow you, willing to trust you, willing to receive and share your grace. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face toward you and be gracious to you. Oh, I goofed it up, didn't I? The Lord uh, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs>